0: Mark chapter fourteen, beginning in verse sixty six. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time, the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice. You will deny me three times. And when he thought about it. He wept. Several years ago, there was an exhibit that came to Denver. It was entitled the Vatican treasures. And I'm an artifact guy. I love artifacts from history. And included in the treasure trove of artifacts was a first century bust of Nero, who would later put Peter to death. There was an exact copy of Michelangelo's only signed piece of art called the Piatta. It's an oversized Mary that holds the lifeless body of her dead son. And there is this quiet serenity and great strength in her features. There's another interesting item that was on display. They called it the throne of St. Peter. It's a chair that allegedly Peter sat in as he presided over the church in Rome. Unfortunately, carbon dating reveals that the chair actually dates to about 875 A.D. and was probably a gift to Pope John VIII by the Roman emperor Charles the Bald the chances of Peter seeking or occupying a throne seems fairly unlikely. From what we know of the gospel accounts of Peter, after his tragic denial, Peter sought in humility to serve the Lord and glorify the Lord Jesus and not bring attention to himself, but bring attention to the Lord Jesus. Last week we looked at the servant on trial. This week, We're actually looking at the trial of Peter. The trial of Jesus at this very moment is taking place inside the palace of Caiaphas. The trial of Peter is taking place on the porch, in the courtyard, outside. One in a court, the other in a courtyard. For Peter, this event will change him forever All four Gospels record the incident. It was the night that the servant was denied. But the story is one that we can all relate to. And the reason is because it's our story. Caiaphas may have hated Jesus. Pilate may have been indifferent towards Jesus. Herod may have been curious about Jesus. Even the crowds, perhaps ambivalent, torn between the miracles... That are, that are, that they saw and the accusations made by the enemies of Jesus. But Peter's denial reflects in a very real way what all followers and believers struggle with. To remain true. To remain loyal. To remain faithful. To remain committed. Peter's fall is, in a sense, the groundwork for defection, a pattern of denial that seems commonplace among Christians. And perhaps you've never experienced the stomach-twisting, heart-crushing event of betraying the Lord Jesus. Maybe you've never had your sin thrown into your face in all of its ugly, filthy horror. Few things are more shattering to the new Christian than denying Jesus in word or deed. I wish I could say to you in all honesty that the worst things that I have ever done in my life were before I became a Christian, but it wouldn't be true. The most evil, the most wicked, the most reprehensible things that I've done, I did after I became a Christian. Most will read Peter's denials and they'll see a great tragedy. And it was. But some of us will ask questions. I'm sure that Peter told Mark this story. And that might shock you. Peter told Mark this story. And I am certain that Peter told it to anyone who was willing to listen often. And you might think, how is that even possible? How How is that possible? Did Peter get some sort of joy or thrill out of being humiliated? And I don't think so. I think the thrill came when Peter said, I denied him. And you know what he did? He forgave me. I deserve to die. And then he died in my place. I pretended like I didn't know him and he loved me and he forgave me and he restored me. And I need to tell you what it's like to experience the depths of darkness and wickedness and find in Jesus a savior Peter's denial would demonstrate Jesus' love. His failure would confirm Jesus' word. His shame would put the spotlight on Jesus' glory. And Peter's sin would be hidden in Jesus' blood. And Peter's tears shed in repentance could be and would be accepted by Jesus. And it would lead to healing. And it would lead to restoration. So look at the first denial. In verse 66 and 67 and 68, we'll begin in verse 66 now as Peter was below in the courtyard. Picture Caiaphas' palace. It's a multi-level palace and Peter is below in the courtyard and one of the servant girls of the high priest came in. Remember in verse 54, Peter followed at a distance. He goes right into the courtyard of the high priest. He sits with the servants. He warms himself by the fire. You have to understand something that in the ancient culture, servants would often serve as gatekeepers. It wasn't unusual For a servant to be posted at the gate. And when a dignitary or a visitor came by. That servant would allow entry into the person who's asking entry. It may be that the servant girl who allowed Peter access into the courtyard. Comes. And takes a closer look. Peter is in the wrong place. At the wrong time. With the wrong people. One of the things that you should ask yourself of the text right at this very moment. Is where did Peter belong? Where should he be? He should be with the other disciples. He should be in prayer. He should be seeking answers from God. I know what you're thinking. This is a confusing time. This is a horrible time. This is a dark time. This is a difficult time. Yes, it is. How did Peter come to this place? Well, he misunderstood God's word and God's plan. Remember what Peter thought. He thought that the kingdom of God would be physical and material and immediate. He either ignored or he couldn't comprehend that the spiritual kingdom of God must first include the death and the resurrection of the Savior, the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit, and then Christ's reign in the human heart. God had a work to do and the Lord God would at some time come back Jesus is going to return he is going to remake the heavens and the earth and Peter completely understands that by the time he writes second peter chapter 3 verse 10 where he writes that this world as you see it and understand it will one day just quite literally disappear but here Peter is confused He's drawn his sword. And so in many ways, he's a marked man. Peter was fearful. He feared being recognized. He feared being arrested. He feared being killed. His faith was fragile, weakened, confused because of the threatening circumstances. And now he is in the company of a group of people who hate Jesus, who have been assembled to testify against Jesus. To reject Jesus. To mock Jesus. And by the way, this is a recipe for disaster. It says in verse 67, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. In that sentence, I actually want to draw your attention to one small, possessive word. It's the word with. You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. It means to be joined or to be a part of a larger group. And some of you are joined or a part of a larger group that you identify with. A police officer often identifies with other police officers. Firemen often identify with other firefighters. Health workers often identify with other health workers. And so, here, rest assured that if you are with Jesus of Nazareth, people will notice you. Think about what the girl is saying. Didn't I see you in the garden? Is that blood on your sword? You look really familiar to me. People who are with Jesus, by the way, are often seen by others, your family, your friends, your co-workers, the world. It becomes pretty evident that you have been with him. You are seen by others as being with him. There's a certain level of expectation, and expectation, I'm going to say, of perfection. People will sometimes think, okay, that if you have been with Jesus, then it seems reasonable that you should act like a Christian, that you should think like a Christian, that you should say words that Christians say. But some people have a kind of a bumper sticker faith. Their bumper sticker says forgiven on the bumper sticker. And certainly Christians are forgiven, but being forgiven is a privilege. It's not a license to act like an unbeliever. When I flew to Albuquerque and first went on staff at Calvary Chapel in Albuquerque, I was driving to the church and Chet was in front of me in a Volkswagen and he had a bumper sticker on his car that read, Honk if you love Jesus. And so I honked and Chet turned around and said, The light's still red, dirtbag." No, I'm just kidding. He didn't really. <laughs> Jet would never do something like that. You would never do something like that, right? Truth. If the people closest to you don't know that you're a Christian, you probably aren't. Remember, if you love Jesus, then his teaching is your teaching. His life is your life. His doctrine is your doctrine. We sang it early. Where you go, I'll go. Where you serve, I'll serve. Who you love, I'll love. But we don't always mean it. When Peter had been seen, look what it says in verse 68, but he denied it. Saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. He denied it. Sometimes out in the world, people will pretend not to know Jesus. They'll profess to know him on Sunday. They'll profess to know him among believers. But never a word about him on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. Their speech is indistinguishable from the speech of an unbeliever. And so in Mark chapter eight, verse 38, Jesus says, whoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the son of man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Moms and dads. Know how perverse it is to say one thing, pretend another. Imagine if your daughter came home and said, there's this boy that really likes me at school. But he said to me, he approached me and he said, look, I want to be your boyfriend, but it has to be a secret. No one can ever know. What would you say to your daughter? Dump him. This guy isn't worth the time of day. Because every mother and every father knows that if he's willing to be ashamed of you in public, then he will almost certainly shame you in private. Did the rooster really crow? The text says so. It may be an idiomatic expression or a figure of speech. The changing of the watch in the night was called the Galicinium. There was a time in the night during the Roman watches that was called the rooster crow. We have words like that in our culture and society. If it's dawn, what time is it? The sun is coming up. If it's dusk, what time is it? The sun is going down. I'm going to suggest to you that the text is probably correct. I'm going to suggest to you that a real rooster crowed. But I want you also to note something, that the rooster didn't prevent the denial. It didn't trigger something inside of Peter's heart that said, I am going to obey God. Verse 30. Assuredly, I say to you today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, You will deny me. So why did Peter fail? Why did he fall? I think that we're all vulnerable to failure. We're all vulnerable to the very same thing. It's called sin. And when you ask the question of why did Peter fall, we have to ask the question, really, why does any of us fall? Why do any of us have a problem of being faithful, consistent? When I speak of denial, by the way, I mean saying no to God. That's what I mean by the word denial. Denial means to say no. It means to refuse in relation to a claim or a demand that's made on your life. Again, every parent knows when a child says no, what they mean. You don't want to. I don't want to do what you told me to do. To put it even more bluntly, it means to say no. No to God, I guess another way of of saying it is a refusal to say yes to Jesus. And so when we say yes to sin, when we say yes to self, we are in effect saying no to God and no to Jesus and some fear ridicule, some fear embarrassment. We deny Jesus by voice, by act, by going with the crowd. There's even times we might deny Jesus by silence because there's something that we should say and that we don't say. In popular culture, we use the term denial to speak of a psychological malady. That person's in denial. Give him a boat. Let him row up the river. Oh, look at that drama queen. She's the queen of the Nile. When a person is diagnosed with a fatal disease. When a person refuses to believe that he or she is going to die. We call that denial. Denial. When Peter denied Jesus, I'm going to suggest to you that he's not in denial. He is in the flesh. And let me help you understand what I mean by that. Being in the flesh means using your own resources in order to try to do what you think God wants you to do. Because think about this for just a moment. He wants to please God. He wants to serve Jesus, but he wants to please God and serve Jesus from the reservoir of his own resources. I can handle this. My mind and my thought and my conviction and my emotion will be enough to carry me through the day. After all. Peter is there. He is there. And he's afraid. And he's troubled and he's confused. By the way. When we walk apart from Jesus, we deny him and failure Isn't typically a calculated event. I just want you to just think in your mind. Just picture that image in your mind. Look back on a past fear or failure. Hold it in your mind for just a moment. And I'm going to ask you a question. Was it calculated? Did you wake up that morning and you say today's the day that I'm going to fail big time? You usually don't plan it, do you? You don't plan to betray your husband. You don't plan to betray your wife. You don't plan to betray circumstances. You don't plan to fail. You don't plan to do that which is wicked, that which is wrong, that which is evil. But we lay the groundwork for failure and denial when we refuse to affirm that we're Christians, that we know them and that we love them. The trigger is usually a catalyst. And the catalyst is usually self confidence. I can watch this. I can say this. I can have this. I don't need church. I don't. After all, I've read the Bible through one time. I've read the Bible through ten times. I've read the Bible through twenty times. I've read the Bible through a hundred times. I don't need to pray about this. I don't need to think about this. What is self-confidence? I'm going to suggest to you that in our text and in this circumstance, it's a refusal to accept Jesus' opinion of you. Pause for just a moment. Think about what I just said. A refusal to accept Jesus' opinion of you. What is Jesus' opinion of Peter? Don't be too harsh. Does Jesus say, Peter, you're going to you're going to blow it. Peter, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. Peter says, you said no, right? Look, after you're restored, I want you to restore your brethren. What is Jesus's opinion of Peter? I'm going to put it in the most God honoring terms that I think I can muster is Jesus opinion of Peter. Peter, you need me. You need me. Peter, you need me because apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing that really matters apart from Jesus, there's nothing that Peter can do or that you can do that really matters. And I want you to think about that for just a moment, because you might be thinking if I ask you fill in your name, what is Jesus opinion of you? Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Jesus is disappointed in me. Jesus is this. Jesus is that. Fill in whatever you want to fill in. But I am going to beg you just for a moment to consider. Is it possible that Jesus' opinion of you minimum? That you need me. What do you think? Is Jesus in a position to make the statement. You need me. That's what I'm going to suggest to you. Remember. Another reason that Peter was in such dire straits earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus came to him and said, please stay with me, watch with me, pray with me for just an hour. Can you exercise some prayer and devotion in verses 37 and 38? And Peter winds up sleeping when he should have been praying. And you'll remember that as the scene unfolds in the garden, when Peter cuts off the ear of the high priest, the servant Malchus, rather than seek the opinion of Jesus, he seeks To kill the accusers of Jesus. He doesn't look at Jesus and go, Lord, these guys want to take you in. Should I kill them? You'll remember that Jesus said, put away your sword. I'm sure that Malchus experienced some pain when Peter struck him. But the stinging rebuke that Peter received from Jesus must have been way more painful. In John chapter 18, 11, Jesus said, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given to me? Peter. I need to do. What God has called me to do. And I can't have you. Preventing me from doing what God has called me to do, by the way, hurried decisions made without benefit of counsel or instruction can often lead to disaster. So let's just do a quick check. What leads to the fall? Number one, self-confidence. Number two, a refusal to accept Jesus' opinion of you. Number three, a refusal to cultivate prayer and devotion. Number four, making a decision without consulting Him. That's God. That's Jesus. And number five, compromise. Be in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Do you remember him warming himself by the fire in verse 54? He warms himself by the fire of the enemy's camp. That's an invitation to disaster. And look at the second denial in verse 69. It says, And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, wait, wait, this is one of them. In Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 59, it tells us between the second and third denial, there was a space, not of five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes, but between verses 68 and 69, the clock is ticking and an hour goes by. In the New King James and Luke 22, it says, you're one of them. Peter said, man, I am not. And then in the original text, it reads after the space of about an hour in between the first denial and the second denial. I'm going to suggest that there was a sigh of relief on Peter's part. He's just go. he goes. The first denial was an unintentional outburst. The second was a calculated statement. As he warmed himself by the fire, his heart perhaps pounding. The external circumstances getting warmer. But his heart was getting colder. Isn't that the way it is when you're in the world? You warm yourself by the world's fire and your Palms are warm, and the external circumstances of your life are warm. There's a friendly camaraderie. There is an esprit de corps, as the French say. There's this communion that you have, but inside, your heart is getting darker and darker, and colder and colder. And that's what sin does. It has that effect on you. Let me be blunt. Every time you say yes to sin, it becomes easier to say yes the next time and then the next time and then the next time. The same is true when you say no. It becomes a little easier to say no. I want you to think about the circumstances inside the palace. The principal opponents of Jesus are beating him with the palms of their hands. They are abusing him. They have blindfolded him. They are spitting on him. They are mocking and abusing the, the Savior. And they're begging him to prophesy. And outside, by the fire, in the courtyard... The prophecy is coming true in Peter's life. And Peter caves in. He denies the servant again. And he slips back into the shadows. He beats a hasty retreat. It becomes the picture of a compromised disciple. And remember, Peter is no, he's no novice. Peter has witnessed Hundreds of miracles. Peter has walked not 10 miles, not 20 miles, not 50 miles. He has walked the length and the breadth of Judea from the Galilee back to Jerusalem. He has made his way and walked all the way to Lebanon and Syria. He has come back. He has walked with Jesus hundreds of miles. He has walked with Jesus and he's walked where no one else has ever walked. He walks on water even if it's just for a few steps. So what are we to think? Does past achievements ensure present faithfulness? Did Peter say, look, I've witnessed these things. I've seen these things. I've seen the transformation that has taken place. Eyes opened, ears opened, lepers cleansed. I've seen people come back to life. I've seen loaves and fishes multiplied. He's willing to face 600 Roman soldiers with a sword. And he's afraid of one girl's question. Don't be fooled into thinking that you can stand strong in Jesus and the power of your own strength because it's just simply not true. Does past success guarantee freedom in the present? Can you really, really trust that all of the things that you've said and all of the things that you've done in the past will somehow carry you into the present? Let me just be blunt. Don't be fooled into thinking that you can stand strong in Jesus in the power of your own strength. Because it's not going to happen. Look at the third denial in verse 70. It says, but he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean and your speech shows it. Apparently, the Galilean spoke in, in an recognizable, in an, an identifiable way. Maybe sort of like the Geico lizard on TV, you know, you just go, hey, that guy's not from America. Imagine. There is this distinct way of speaking that betrays your identity. When I was a kid growing up, my brother and I, we would play Star Trek. He would be Captain Kirk and I would be everybody else on board. <laughs> I would say stuff like, you know, my brother would go, give us more power, Scotty. I, go, I do not know if I can give her any more power, Captain. We're all gonna die. I can tell where you're from by the way that you speak. And look what it says. Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. And by the way, when you hear the expression curse and swear, you might wrongly think that Peter is exercising profanity. And you would be way wrong. Peter isn't speaking like a truck driver or. A police officer. It's not profanity. It's something way worse. It's blasphemy. The meaning of the word to curse comes from a Greek root word anathema or to anathematize. It is a word that meant to bind yourself under an oath or under a curse and to swear translates the Greek word omnienai. It means to take an oath much like you would do when you put your hand on the Bible and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. In effect, Peter is saying, I swear I am telling you the truth and may God Curse me if I'm not. I want you to think carefully about what you're reading. Peter invites God to kill him if he's not telling the truth. This from the disciple who a few hours earlier pledged his undying love, loyalty, fidelity. Peter's in effect saying, May, may God kill me and damn me. Forever, if I know who this person is. Peter has disconnected himself completely from Jesus and God and reality. And sin and fear will do that to you. And you know what else I'm going to suggest to you? We can't know the heart or the mind or the thoughts that are going on inside of a person's heart or their mind. But I suspect that Peter, even when he said these words, he fully never, ever, ever expected to be forgiven or restored. You know, one of the most terrifying things that can happen in your life is when a voice whispers. You're going to go to hell for this. You're going to go to hell for this. You've really blown it. God can understand an unthinking outburst or a meaningless mistake. But look at what you've done. Look at the depths of your sin. Look at how low you've sunk. Why forget it. You've gone to the well once too often. You can't be forgiven for that. But Peter stood not with Christ, but with his rejectors. And Peter was standing with him because he fled the Lord and he acted in his flesh. And he remember, your flesh is everything that you are apart from Jesus because Peter didn't accept the words of Jesus. He was unwilling to accept the opinion of Jesus. The Lord Jesus told Peter and the others exactly what would happen, but he refused to be open to the truth. And I'm sure that there's been a time in your life when someone said, please, please, I'm begging you, don't go down that road. Don't take that way. Please don't do this. Don't say this. This is the wrong way to go. This is the wrong way. You're headed in the wrong direction. And Peter is confused and he's caught off guard. He's afraid of persecution. So why is Peter telling you this story? Why is Peter allowing you to see the depths of his own sin and his own denial? Because he wants you to understand the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus. Luke's gospel records a special moment in Luke chapter 22, verses 61 and 62. There's this special moment. Luke's gospel said that Peter has just asked God to kill him if he's lying. And at the moment that he does, Jesus is released from the courtyard and the courtroom. And he's being led to be tortured. And the Bible records, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And the text reads, so Peter wept bitterly. Luke's gospel adds the term bitterly to speak of the convulsive nature of an uncontrolled Outburst where you shake and you cry because you think that you're going to die. Past accomplishments won't save you from current temptations. Some people might say, well, I've read my Bible and I go to church and I went forward. I prayed a prayer. Why do I still struggle? Why, why am I having such a hard time? Look at verse 72, a second time the rooster crowed, then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And when he thought about it. He wept. The old Peter was fallible. The old Peter denied Jesus. Remember, the old Peter wants to know God and serve God and obey Jesus, but he's using his own resources. He thinks his own willpower, he thinks his own commitment, he thinks his own heart, he thinks his own intelligence will be the thing that will bring him through. But there's something really attractive about the big fisherman. His brokenness, his repentance. And you'll note that the first step in repentance is remorse. By the way, it's not the rooster crowing that convicts Peter. Look what it says in the text. He called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. What is the word that Jesus had said to him? If we think of all of the word that Jesus said to him, it was come. Follow me. Come. Walk with me. Come. Participate with me. Be with me. Love me. Walk with me. Be with me. And oh, by the way, Peter, you're going to get in trouble. Because you're going to do something stupid and you're going to do something foolish and you're going to trust yourself and you're going to trust your own mind and you're going to trust your own heart and you're going to trust your own resources. You're going to, for a wicked moment, think that you have everything that you need in order to have a satisfying relationship with me. But you're wrong. I need you to understand my opinion of you. You need me. And by the way, it's not. Peter's tears that restore him. The Bible says that Judas was sorry that he betrayed Jesus. And it says he went and he hung himself. Sorrow that leads to death is not repentance, it's not tears that provide forgiveness, it's blood. Jesus' blood. The blood that will cover and cleanse and bridge the awful gap between Peter's oath and Peter's hope. I want you to picture him sobbing. What do you suppose you hear him saying? What is that you hear? I deserve to die. I deserve to die. I deserve to die. And the Lord will speak to him and the Lord will say, Peter, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to kill your friend. The Bible says that the soul that sins, it shall surely die. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And when he thought about it, he wept. And the more Peter thought about the situation, the more he wept. And the more he wept, the more heartbroken he became. And the more he wept, the more grieved he became with this unbearable guilt. And Peter is going to take that guilt into the crucifixion, he's going to bear that guilt. On Easter Sunday. Until he gets news from a resurrected Jesus. Go tell the disciples. Oh yeah, and Peter. That I've risen from the dead. So what's your best defense against denial? Well, trust Jesus. Accept Jesus' opinion of you. The simple truth. It seems so simple that I even have to say it sounds crazy. You know the song? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Pray. When you pray, you admit your dependence upon him. Avoid rash and hurried decisions. The world says, seize the moment. Make the decision now. The, and by the way, the devil will whisper in your ear and he'll say, look, make a quick judgment. Do it now. Satisfy yourself now until the gospel is preached. And the preacher says, turn from your sin now. Turn to Jesus now. And the the, the, the devil will go Later. There's only one hurried decision that you can make safely. It's when you make the decision to turn from sin and turn to the Savior. And by the way, avoid the place of temptation, run, flee, turn and go in the opposite direction, submit to God, resist the devil. The Bible says. Don't place yourself in a, in a position of compromise. By the way, years later, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, Peter will write, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace without spot and without blemish, blameless. How is it that you will find yourself in peace in Him? You have to turn to him. There are basically two kinds of people in this room Italian people and people who wish they weren't. No, those aren't the two kinds of people. (laughs) Two kinds of people. Those who need to find a way forward. A way to find themselves forward in Jesus or a way to find. Their way back to Jesus. You will go forward in Jesus. You will go back to Jesus. But either way. That's the hope. This is why Peter was so willing. With such an excitement. To talk about his personal failure. Not because he's proud of his wickedness. But he understands That he has a Savior who loves him, who's willing to forgive him. How can you resist or reject that kind of Savior? In just a few moments, we're going to stand. And in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Those who need to make a way forward in Jesus and those who need to make their way back. Who understand what it means to have in their hearts and in their ears hear the voice whisper, you've gone too far. There's no hope for you. And you understand this message of hope that Jesus loves you and that he's willing to forgive you, that he is willing to forgive you and to to, And to take you back. Is that you? Let's stand. I'm going to pray for you. Even now. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every person within the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray in particular for that person whose heart seems filled. With darkness. Lord, I pray that you would. Fill it with light for the person who's filled with guilt, Lord, I pray that you would fill them with forgiveness for the person who's filled with despair, Lord, I pray that you would fill them with hope. And for the person who's frustrated and angry. Because they've lived their life. According to their own resources. With their own mind and heart, but they've never rejected themselves and accepted the Lord. Heavenly Father, we know that apart from Jesus, we can't do anything. Lord, we pray that we would accept Jesus' opinion of ourselves. We need him. We need a Savior who can forgive us. Who loves us. Who's willing to take our darkness and transform it into light. Who's willing to take our guilt and transform it into freedom and forgiveness. Who's willing to take our despair and our fear and translate it to love and hope. In the knowledge that a real savior really died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. And because Jesus is alive, he can change us even now. And so, Lord, I pray for that man, that woman. Lord, I pray that they would pray this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I need to accept Jesus' opinion of me. I need him. I need hope and I need grace and I need mercy and I need forgiveness. For the person who needs a way back. They found themselves distant, estranged from God, wandering in a wilderness of fear and despair and selfishness and self-indulgence and self-pity. Lord, I pray that they would come back to you even now and say, Lord, I'm tired of living according to my own resources. I want to live according to your resources. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you to come right now. The worship team is going to sing a song. You need a way forward. Come here. You need a way back. Come here. We're going to sing.